Hi everyone, my name is Luke Thomas. It is uh, the 15th of July, 2021, and it is time for episode 81 of my live chat. Uh, if you'd be so kind, please give it a thumbs up. Hit subscribe if you are new here. If you've already subscribed, and this is sort of a new MK experience to you, I do these most Thursdays. I don't really do these when I'm Thursdays on the road because it's a little too hard to do them, but uh, certainly when I'm at home, which is the overwhelming majority of the time, we do these. I put up a thread on the community section of the YouTube channel right here, uh, usually the day before on Wednesday. They people fill it up, and then we go to answer it. In fact, I think I have it up here. Yes, I do. Um, so without further ado, let's get this party started. All right, and there we have it. Okay, um, I just want to say thanks to everyone who, you know, we said it on Monday and whatever, but um, just want to say thanks again to everyone who made last week such a grand success. Um, it was a big deal for the brand, and even the Showtime folks who weren't really out with us, because that was a sort of a CBS sports operation. My job is weird. I sort of serve a couple of masters, but yet only one. It's I don't know how to explain it, but... Uh, most of the Showtime folks, there was, only, there was only like two of them out there, and they were just sort of serving in a ancillary production role. It was important, but it wasn't, it wasn't a Showtime thing. It was a CBS Sports thing. Even they were reaching out and being like, oh, my God, it was so great. So couldn't happen without you folks, and we're really appreciative, super appreciative, okay? So like the video, hit subscribe, join us. All right. Mm. All right. I will go for an hour and change today. Okay? All right, we'll turn this off. Uh, that. Okay. All right, first question. Put the desk a little lower, too. Jesus. There we go. Look, what did you make of John Kavanaugh's comment that he saw nothing in Conor McGregor's performance that concerned him? And felt that McGregor was, before the injury occurred, well-placed to either finish Dustin in the next round or go on to secure a victory. This was made when talking to Laura Sanko the day after the fight. I mean, a lot of times people ask me to come on here and parse like what a teammate said or what a coach said as like, hey, do you think this is accurate? When what they might be doing is they might be saying how they feel, at least in some part, but they're probably leaving out some things that they noticed they're probably, if you know, I, I don't know what I don't know that Conor McGregor's like Deontay Wilder. Maybe, probably not. Deontay's pretty special in that way, in the sense that like he's incredibly sensitive. But like you know, how long do you keep a job working for someone famous and powerful by criticizing them? So you know, I, I listen. He, I'm not here to say that the entire thing he said was disingenuous. I, what I'm pointing out is whether it was completely honest or completely disingenuous. I have no way of knowing. If you're asking me to evaluate the claims independent of that, because I can't accuse a man of being disingenuous when I don't know that he is, but to, except to say I've seen this movie before where, you know, years later people are like, oh, yes, of course we saw all those problems, and I just couldn't say it at the time. I, I, could that be here? I don't know. But let me just say this, uh, that before the injury occurred, Connor was well-placed to either finish Dustin in the next round or go on to secure a victory. I don't know what anyone could have seen that would have told him that now let me explain what I mean by that it's not to say that I thought Connor was completely out of the fight I I did not think he was out of the fight I thought he lost the first round I didn't think it was 10-8 I, I, I saw it again I thought that was 10-9 clear 10-9 but 
10 9, not, not 10 8. Okay, but he won 10 9. And um, I did see a big skill difference on the ground. Um, but how much of that was impacted by any kind of pain or injury that he had previously suffered, not so much before the fight, but like as the fight. I think they went to the ground at, a, at roughly the halfway mark, something like that. I have to go back and check. What I'm pointing out is, you know, walking around the cage and in some of the first kicks that he threw to Dustin, did he exacerbate the injury then? And so by the time he was on the ground, he wasn't really able to be himself. It's hard to know. I was very critical of, of Connor in the Chad Mendes fight because he just locked up his guard and didn't really attempt anything. And I was like, the guy's just got no guard. I mean, he, he, he was able to prevent passing for the most part, but... There was no offense from it. And then you find out he had a really terrible knee injury. So, like, you got to be a little bit careful about that. But at the same time, it did appear to me that, like, one thing that uh, people – I keep going back to. I said it on the post-fight show on Saturday night. If you watch how Dustin maneuvered through this, there was really no attempt to pass it. More to that point, every time he would step out of the guard, he would step right back into it. He, I think he felt comfortable inside of Connor's guard. Um whether that's because Connor's guard is not particularly offensive in MMA or he had an injury or whatever, he was able to go right back into it. And then on top of it, um, you know, he had, I thought, pretty good, not amazing, but pretty good ground and pound. So, like, I don't know what I mean, he was teeing off on Dustin early, but here's the thing it's like, dude, Dustin's battle tested. Eventually that will cost him too uh, if he keeps going. But for now, it appears that he's pretty fresh. He's been kicked by every kind of leg kicker you can imagine, including Justin Gaethje, who I would imagine does just as well as Connor leg kicking, if not better. And he was able to withstand, you know, basically four rounds of that. Like, if you thought, like, when I say you, I mean the proverbial you out there. But, like, if people thought, you know, like that was going to wilt Dustin Poirier, I, evidence doesn't really support that at all. Not not to my knowledge. Um and also, he got countered. I mean, part of the reason why they went to the ground was because Dustin was landing on him at range and getting off the center line and then landing his own, uh, I believe it was his own left hand right up the middle, caught McGregor by surprise. It pushed him back two different times. And he then initiated short range contact. Then he throws a knee to the body. Dustin catches it and then uses that to drive him to the fence and then get the takedown. Like they were on the ground because of Connor. You know, and yes, he was landing on those leg kicks, and they looked fucking hard, man. Uh, I mean, his leg got broken, in, probably in part because of those, probably. So I mean, he was lighting them up. Let's be clear about it. But like, you know, <clears throat> you're talking about maybe the best active 155 pounder in the world. Um, <laughs> gonna take a lot more than that to put that guy down. A lot more than that, and you're already you were already getting. Not beaten on the feet, but pushed back and then forced into close quarter exchanges, which you did not want probably. Like, listen, is it entirely conceivable that absent that injury that Connor could have gone in there and landed a big shot and shut the lights out in the second round? Of course it is plausible. It is entirely plausible that that could have happened. But like, did I see anything in the first round that would tell me that was imminent or like Dustin was in trouble, or not even in trouble, but like the groundwork had been laid for something bigger. No, I didn't see that at all. Uh, so to me, Connor not out of the fight until the injury took him out of the fight, but he was losing, and you could make a case that he was losing in all but basically one dimension. And the one dimension he was not losing in ultimately may have played a role in his injury. 
Man, that whole injury thing is interesting with Connor, isn't it? Like these new revelations. We're going to get to this tomorrow on Morning Combat. I don't want to say necessarily a whole lot about it, but every time, I mean, Connor, you just have to kind of call it what it is. Like, I don't think he's Deontay Wilder bad. Connor makes a lot of excuses. A lot. You know, oh, I lose to Floyd. Yeah, come fight me in MMA. Okay, well, all right, that's one thing. And, you know, Habib takes him to the ground. And it's like, all right, what about the lack? What if there was no wrestling? And then you get whooped on the feet by Dustin. And it's like, okay, what about the leg? I mean, it's always something that you can point to. And listen, I'm not one of these guys who thinks that, like, all excuses deserve to be dismissed. Like, oh, the only thing you could say is none of those things mattered. I mean, obviously, they fucking matter on some level. If you have a really bad injury or some kind of issue um, that affects competition, I mean, understand, have you ever seen these guys race and ladies too, and these cross-country things, and then one person wins by, like, you know, point zero 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 one second? Man, at the elite level, you know, sometimes... Uh, grand competitions are decided by the narrowest of margins. Dude, if you had food poisoning, for example, the day of a fight, I've, se- I've seen people win with food poisoning. I saw Joe Warren beat Patricio Pitbull back in like Kansas City fucking 10 years ago or something, and he had food poisoning that morning. It can be done, but the whole point is like, dude, like obviously if you have something like that, it's going to affect you. But like, the difference, I think, between Connor and some of these other situations is one: when he was winning, you know, he was still able to overcome them, right? You know, like when he had the injury and after the fact with Chad Mendez, and it turned out like he had a whole fucked up knee and it was a disaster, and he still found a way to, to win it. You're like, wow, man, he was able to overcome. So it didn't even stop him in those cases. And then the other part is, it's like, dude, do you not think other fighters think the same way? Like on some level. They had this kind of injury or that kind of distraction or they had an opponent who, you know, was single-minded about one tiny weakness, but it was enough for the whole thing to come up. Like, they all probably feel that way on some level, which I, I bring up to say, not that it's not true or relevant, but it's relevant to the point of boring. Like, that's the game. <laughs> that's the game. The game is having the most amount of skills and being as durable as possible. Um and then just dealing with, you know, the the various challenges that come with competition. That's the game. That's the game. So, like, you need, you need to be sensitive, I think, to the reality that these guys are mortal. They're human. They go into fights with really bad conditions. Who knows what Dustin went in there with? I'm sure he had something going on, too. You know, you never know. Ryan Hall fights Ilya Teporia. First fucking punch he throws. His hand breaks. I mean, this is just, this is, this is unfortunate, and that should play a role in how you understand um, how fights play out. But you, you watch enough of this, you see enough of this, you begin to realize that like all of these challenges, whether the opponent didn't quite line up right, whether you had a nagging injury, whether you had some kind of comp- competitive distraction, that's the game. That's what they do. That is the game. That is how it is played, is maneuvering through all of these minefields. And it's too hard for someone like me to even try, so I don't bother. I'm not built for that. You know, I understand that. But like just in talking to experts over the years and watching it, all the time. I mean, I've probably seen how many thousands of fights. You just this is this is, you know. Oh, I had an opponent who was you know, who went after something different this time. That's that's the game. That's the game. So, um, I do think that the injury could could serve as a real reset moment where you have to really rebuild your functional ability through that leg and and developing it again and what that could do for him long term and. Um, I think there's a real possible way he could come back and be, 
as dominant as ever. I don't know, but like, you know, remind people what time it is. Yeah, I think that's very possible. Absolutely, I think that's possible. I also think it's possible that uh, the magic is already gone and we're on, he's on borrowed time and he could recover from the century but never really be the same. And, uh, and that's all basically it, you know. Um, I mean, if you come back one more time and you lose to Dustin one more time, you know, <laughs> what are you supposed to say at that point, you know? The last thing I would say is, in defense of Connor, and then to take any analysis I give you with a grain of salt, I got the prediction in the first fight wrong. I got the prediction in the second fight wrong. I got the prediction in the third fight right, but the third fight is the least conclusive among them. So, you know, take that for what it is worth as well. Do you ever worry about revealing too much about yourself, given that there's crazy people out there, or is that something that comes with the territory of being a well-known media member no you know it's funny i haven't said i haven't told you guys this so when i first started lifting in my front yard um i mean here's the thing man like there are other media members here in dc that have like prestigious jobs in the city like um you know people i know i know i know so many people who work at the post and and uh the washington post which you know if you can get a job as like yo i'm the nba columnist at the washington post you know let me tell you something folks in the world of media jobs that's very high up, you know, and um, obviously I, I, I got a chance for a few years to work at 106.7 The Fan just on the weekends, but I know I know all those guys there pretty well, and they're really well known in the city, you know, and what's interesting is I think I have larger followings than virtually all of them, but not here, not here. In my hometown, uh, this has changed recently. In fact, that's what I'm telling you the story. But for years, I thought I had a bigger following than a lot of people. And like, you know, if I go to Vegas on a Conor McGregor fight week, I'm going to get recognized pretty pretty consistently. But just, you know, here at um, some of my favorite hangouts, and I actually prefer it this way. Yeah, I'm just a regular old customer. I'm nobody, I'm nobody special anyway. But I mean, you know, I'm just a dude who walks in the door and pays his bill and walks out. So when I first started lifting weights in my front yard during the pandemic, it was funny because for months, nothing, like it was just people walking by, you know? And I guess in the last maybe six months, maybe since the turn of the year, something like, I can't quite put my finger on when exactly it happened, but like I've had multiple neighbors <laughs> recognize me. You know, it's funny, man. It, it, I would go to, like, these towns where the fights are happening. Kansas City, Las Vegas, whatever. And you have a certain life among the fight community that, you know, it operates the way that it operates. D.C. was always, like, an oasis away from that. I was always able to come home and I could just let it all go. Like, it had no bearing on anything. I'd meet people in the city and they'd be like, oh, what do you do? And I'd tell them and they couldn't even, like, they're like, what? You cover the WWE shit? Like, I mean, it was just, you know... I. I Starting from scratch all the time, you know, and I, I actually kind of liked it. Um, and I guess recently there's been I have had a bunch of people, people like you know I was I was benching one time and some guy was like Luke Thomas, <laughs> is that you? <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, it's me. You know, it gets a little weird when like people who listen to your podcast walk by your house and they're like, oh, you live here. That's a little weird. But I would say in general. Um, I think more often than not, the audience tends to appreciate sharing these details. I don't post a lot of pictures of my wife. I don't share a lot of details about like how to get in contact with her. 
because there are some crazy people and sure enough even with me kind of withholding that information you know anybody intrepid enough could find it and some try and they're inevitably every one of them is fucking weird so you know i try to keep that kind of stuff i'll probably post fewer and fewer pictures of my daughter as she gets older you know um but you know in general you got to be like significantly first of all i'm not famous but to the extent that i have any kind of visibility you got to be way more famous than that to have problems, you know, for the most part. I, I, it's just, yeah, it's a little unnerving when someone's like, hey, I was listening to Morning Combat. This is where you, this is your yard where you, where you, where you lift weights. It's like, uh, you know, that's a little unsettling. But in general, it's fine. Uh, Luke, it's been so many years and Nick Diaz has a fight booked. What was that crazy fight he got offered that you did not want to share? Later. Maybe when he retires, I'll tell you. What was the reason that Showtime removed one of your episodes recently? Did they? I didn't think they did. How did that play out? Do you guys have to watch what you say now? Fuck no. I mean, I can't go out there and be like, Showtime's the worst company ever and it's run by the Vatican. Okay, you can't say stuff like that, but... Uh, I hope not. I really appreciate both your honesty when it comes to all topics MMA. Folks, let me let me issue a challenge to you. Um, we're counting on you to keep us honest. I mean, we'll keep, we'll be honest. But if we ever slip up, and it goes for BC too, please light us on fire. If there's ever any kind of card that's uh, good, and I'm like, this card is shit because I'm trying to like, you know, stick it to some promoter. Call me on it. Vice versa. If I'm not fair to a fighter, call me on it. You know, and then m- most of you already do this anyway. You know, no one's going to tell me what to say. And if they try to, then I'm out. It's as simple as that. I think there was something wrong with that video because if you actually look at the audio, it was just left up. That video was taken down. I don't know what the fuck that was up with that. But the video, the audio stayed up. It like, didn't go anywhere. So, so no, I don't, I don't think there was any of those issues there. But, um... Actually, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what happened there. But I'll, whatever happened, I'm looking at you now. The minute that someone says I can't say what's on my mind, you know, in a professional way or whatever, but I can't say what's on my mind, I'm out. I'm out. You know. And honestly, like, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. And, I, and 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 my bosses know that, and they have never told me you can't say what's on your mind. They've never told me that. So we're good. Like, dude. Who would hire me in 2020? Me. Me. Who would hire me in 2021 with the expectation that I'm just going to carry water for you? Like, who would, like, why would you do that? Like, does, and do you know anything about what I do and what I've said and what I've done in my career? Like, if, if you wanted, and again, they didn't, but I'm saying if someone wanted a lackey who would just be like, yeah, what, what's the, what's the talking points, boss? Uh, I'm probably the the wrong guy to hire. <laughs> Favorite video on Perv City. I mean, I think you guys know what my search criteria probably looks like there. Uh, Brendan Schaub recently stated his started, excuse me, his own fight companion. Can we expect to see you on there in the future, or even have an MK fight companion in the future? Yeah, I was actually texting with Schaub about some other things recently. 
uh, I think last night, Chab and I were texting, and um, he invited me, not like for the next one, but he was like, we'd love to get you on in the future. So, yeah, I mean, it would, you know, here's the thing. He did that for UFC 264. The only issue might be that, like, for the fights he's going to want to do that for, I'm guessing I will be on the road for, for the most part, but there might be a little bit of a window where we can get around that. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, I would. I, listen, man, Brendan hustles, dude. He hustles. He's got all that below the belt stuff. He's got all of his independent podcasts. And I mean, I, you know, he fucking grinds, man. That dude grinds. He grinds. And now he's developing Thick Boy on his own. And, you know, it's going to take some time to, to get it moving. But um, he's already on his way. So God bless him. Was Bradley Martin any good? I, I, obviously, I've, I've not seen it because I was, I, you know, I was, I was busy working. I'd be curious to see. I, 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 I wonder what you guys think. Was Bradley Martin any good? I've got Bradley Martin. I find to be like, you know, he comes off very broy if you just hear him talk, but his lifts are like, they're pretty impressive just from a strength perspective. His technique is usually he's not doing stupid ass stunt lifts. But when he's doing like actual lifts, his technique is clean. It's pretty good. You hear him talk, he generally has a pretty good sense about, you know, how to lift properly. And he's obviously big as shit, you know. Um, and he's obviously made a fuck ton of money. Like, he, he, I guess he might surprise us, huh? What was your favorite childhood cartoon? Where did I spend the most amount of time watching as a kid? Mom was pretty strict about time. So I'd say given the constraints. DuckTales maybe, something like that. Movie, childhood movie, Predator. Video game, Mortal Kombat, easy. Mortal Kombat was, that was a red pill moment, folks. You don't know what it was like to have arcades where you would go to. And then you'd see it, and uh, and then Mortal Kombat 2 was even really like the fucking holy shit moment. Um, is it time for Connor to acquire the services of Joshua Fabia? No. No, I don't think so. Uh-uh. Honestly, guys, I, I mean, maybe you could, you know, send a different trainer over to Connor or whatever. I tend to think that, like, whatever issues he's having, whether he's, like, you know, he's got some durability issues and, and whatever else. I, I I don't know. Yeah, maybe a different trainer might be a little bit different, but like honestly, I think the, and this is a guess, my guess is that what's really a, a bit of a bigger issue for him is that, um, I think the game's caught up a little bit. I think the game's caught up a lot actually. And I don't know that he... I have this nagging suspicion, and it's nothing more than that, a suspicion. Take that for what it is worth. But I have a suspicion that, like, I don't think he wants this exactly the way that he used to. Maybe not, maybe it's too much to say at all, but, you know, I feel like he's trying to will himself through these moments a little bit, and that he might still be able to win doing that, but that it's leading him to these various problems of trouble that he has got himself into. And, and, you know, you could change the training and blah, blah, blah. But, like, internally, if you don't have that same exact drive, um, you, you know, bad things will happen. And, like, dude, you know, I, I, said, it on, I said it on Saturday's post-fight show. Dude, that guy already won, man. He won big. He won huge, you know. 
he beat the game, basically, you know? He beat the game, so to speak, where you come in and just make all the money in the world and have fame in any country you land in and um, generational wealth and first person to hold two UFC titles simultaneously. I mean, like, dude, what a career. If it ended today, what a career. Granted, if he can come back and uh, get a huge win and, be, I mean, let's put it this way, put it become champion again, I mean, that would be just absolute. I mean, he's already a legend, but that would just be, you know, true fucking Herculean stuff. Um, but even if he doesn't, you know, like he already he already won. He already won. And I have a sneaking suspicion. A suspicion. Nothing more than that. I have a sneaking su- suspicion that deep inside um, he feels that way. Like, I kind of already won. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. What interview that you fumbled do you wish you could redo? I interviewed... Uh, there were, I had one moment where my brain just short-circuited once. I was trying to interview... You guys probably never even saw it. I don't even know if we posted it. I did one with Lucas Matisse when he was on... I think I think Lucas Matisse, for a time... You guys might not know this, but he, he was an Argentinian boxer. He might be retired now. He, I think he had like a horrible showing against Pacquiao a few years ago. But who did he fight on that card? He was on the Mayweather... Either Mayweather McGregor or I think it was Mayweather, uh, not Mayweather McGregor, Mayweather Pacquiao or Mayweather Canelo. I think it was the Mayweather Canelo card. I have to double check. Um, but Matisse fought on that. And uh, I just couldn't get going. I just, I, they were like, they were like, we're going to walk off if you can't ask this question. I was like, just, I just, for some reason, I couldn't form words coherently. It was one of those moments where my brain truly wasn't working. I eventually, before they walked off, I, I got out like, you know, five or six questions and it was fine. But that was, Jesus, that was terrible. And um, so that was one. Another one that I fumbled. <sighs> Probably had a few of those. Um, I mean, in general, I kind of do my homework. I mean, some have been better than others. Um. I'm, no, that's probably the worst one. Again, I've had interviews that may have been boring or, you know, eh. But, like, they weren't, they weren't like, calamities. That was a near catastrophe that I avoided. Uh, Luke, what happened when... <laughs> was the Latina booty that walked by when you were about to ask Ryan Hall a question of the pre-fight scrum... Really so good it made you lose what you were going to say. No, I got a phone call from my wife and um, uh, we had a rough week last week. I haven't told anybody this, so I'll just tell you guys now. Uh, the day that I went to Vegas, we had to put our cat down. In fact, um, so, it, you know, it was two days later, I think at that point, And uh, there was just, my, 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 my wife was dealing with a lot and um, it was bad. And it was bad. So when as soon as I saw the phone light up, I was like, no, I got to take this. I had to take it. So I took it. But um, but I ended up asking what I wanted anyway. So, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> Luke, you said this week that no one is a bigger fan of elder abuse than Brian. Have you forgotten about Kelly? For folks who may not know, Kelly was an assistant producer on my radio show. At the time she was on the show, she was like 21. And we were doing all these like... Uh, 
tests or challenges to see what she knew about anything other than her own generation in terms of popularity or cultural impact. So, for example, she did not know who Harrison Ford was. Harrison Ford, of course, played in many roles, not least of which is um, in Star Wars. He played Han Solo. But, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff he's been in, obviously. She had no idea who he was. None. I don't think she... I think she had heard the name the Wu-Tang Clan and could not name anyone in it, you know. It was one of those moments where I realized, like, whoa, dude. Coolness, you can get people like Snoop who can be, like, cool over the course of generations. But for most people, coolness is a function of youth. You know, whatever the youth is listening to, like, I, I, I'll get on... I, I check YouTube trending every day and I'll look on these videos and it's like, poo shite, like, who's on right now? Is it Pooh Shiesty? Who the fuck is there? Let's see. Doja Cat? It's like, you don't think I... You, I don't know who the fuck Doja Cat is. Uh, all right, here's BLXT Chosen featuring Ty Dolla Sign and, and Tyga. When I was a kid, it was Big Tigga who was in the basement. <laughs> and my friend, he, he did a uh, DJ show for like my friend's high school at the time. It was years ago. And everyone knew he was Big Tigger. Y'all might not know that. And my friend went up to him. He's like, so you're Big Tigger, huh? He's like, no, 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 it's Tigga. He's like, oh, yeah. You mean like from Winnie the Pooh, Tigger? He's like, no. Uh, I don't know who Tyga is. Let's see. Polo G. I've seen him on I've seen him on here. I don't know who he is. Let's see. Who else they got up here? DDG. Lakia. Murray. And Koi LaRay's 2021 XXXL Freshman Cypher. I bet that's terrible. Uh, Ariana Grande, I've heard of her. She's not really a rapper, but, you know. 21 Savage, I've heard of him. He had the whole immigration thing, if memory serves. Um, what else? What else do we have here? Bunch of, oh, 2C. Don't know him. Here's somebody called Quadeca. Don't know NBA young boy. I do know Tyler the Creator. Okay, but you get my point. Like, it, you, you it, eventually this will happen to all of you if it hasn't already. I, I have terrible news for you. You you imagine your life and your understanding of trends and coolness and everything is like, oh, I, I just know it as part of my daily operation of living, right? That that will cease to exist and it will get further and further and further from you and to a point where one, you'll realize the gap is so big you can no longer cross it, and two. You'll look at what's across the gap and you'll realize, I don't even want that shit anymore. That is that is the elderly position at which I have arrived. Luke, I loved the live show you guys did last week. Any chance of taking that type of show on the road? Well, I mean, it was on the road. <laughs> I know what you mean, though, other places. If yes, can you come to Toronto so I can see it live? Uh, yeah. This is, this is why I try to explain to you guys. It's like, and you, you already know the deal, but anytime that we do something like that, you know, we need the kind of support that shows the execs that there's something worth um, investing in, that there's something worth doing more of. And that was about, that was a bottom of the ninth grand slam. I mean, you know, that's about what that was. That was extremely well received at CBS. I can't. You guys know how I felt about what happened in Miami. I mean, the stupid fight, but like, you know, what Showtime was trying to do for us there and how we were able to ma you know, handle those various tasks. I think that they loved all of that. Um, on the CBS side, which were the ones who made that desk and everything else and made the arrangements and blah, blah, blah. 
yeah, man, like they they loved it. They they loved it. So uh, Toronto, I don't know. I, I mean, especially with immigration and all the COVID stuff, I don't know. But yeah, I think I think you're gonna see plenty more of that. Very happy to see you treated well with Showtime and CBS, but why did you decide to do MK under the Showtime banner? Today it seems easy for anyone to start a podcast, and some of them become successful. I ask because you've mentioned paranoia about being fired, uh, and you've got equipment to do independent content as well as a decent amount of technical savvy, so it would make sense that you would want your dream, MK, with lots of potential to be yours. Was it because your vision for MK is beyond the scope of just doing a podcast? Yes. And partnering with Showtime CBS would better help you achieve those things? Yes. Or maybe the terms of the contract were good, no compromises on your end, so why not do it under Showtime? Correct. Also, if you're able to specify, if you happen to part ways with Showtime CBS, would you be able to continue the show independently? And would it be with or without BC? Well, here's the funny thing. I don't have any designs on not working with BC anytime soon. In fact, to that point, imagine we did get fired for saying something on Room Service Diaries or something. Dude, like the the... MK is me and BC. Like, if you subbed me out, BC's entertaining, but I don't think it would be the same. And conversely, if it was just me trying to do MK, I don't think it would work. Now, understand, I think uh, BC could thrive if he wanted to uh, with a different vision without me. And I think if push came to shove, I could find a way forward as well. But, like, obviously, uniting our strengths is big. And I think everyone knows at this point the 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 brand is me and him you can't you can't substitute that you want mk there's one way to get it it's me and it's him so like um you know i think the 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 bosses upstairs understand that but also like you know the thing you mentioned was and i've said this before you know i was living a life pre-pandemic i think a lot of you were like this where i was just trying to do as much as possible and then everything hit and you were forced to take a reset and then some of those things you have to get back to, but some of them you don't. And you're like, well, you know what? I don't have to get back to that. I don't really want to get back to that. So that's been a bit of a challenge for me. Um, but the other part is that, like, number one, first of all, CBS Sports came to me with, like, an offer that no one else had ever come to me before. I already knew someone on the inside, Brian Campbell, who was like, dude, I think this could be really, really good. Like, here's the lay of the land, blah, 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 blah. And then because Showtime had such a senior role in it, and I really knew and trusted them, plus... To your point, MK is not just me and Brian doing the podcast. That's a big part of it. But, you know, again, it's me and Brian. It's when we host weigh-ins. It's when we host media days. It's when we get to go do stuff at a desk. It's when we get to go do, sometimes he gets to do stuff independent of me where he gets to go and fill in for Jim Gray or, and believe me, there's been some offers thrown my way as well too. Um, it's, 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 I could, could we do MK without CBS and Showtime? Yeah, I guess you could in theory. But the level of investment, like what you don't want to be is in a place where you have a project that you believe in, that you know is good, that's not getting investment. Um, or if it's really important to you to have, never have any uh, corporate influence whatsoever. Okay, that, that's a thing you could do. But if you're going to go the independent route, it's a lot more work on your own to make things happen. You're right. I do have the resources to, in theory, potentially pull it off. Um, but I think that the things... Showtime and CBS have, have, I mean, dude, did, does it not look like to you that they're all in? I mean, dude, just from all of the social assets, we don't, we don't put, we don't do any of those. We don't make any of the graphics. We don't make any of those videos. Nothing back where I used, you know, other jobs. You had to make every, like, dude, for the live, to this live chat, the previous iteration, the promotional practice live chat. 
understand something. Like I took a shot at Vox Media two weeks ago. I'm happy to take another one on them now. Dude, they never, like, they gave me the opportunity to, like, hey, you can have the site on whatever days it was, Wednesdays at 1, I don't even remember, to do the live chat, but <laughs> they never lifted a finger. They never even did a logo for the show. Nothing. Like, that logo I had, that was the black and yellow logo, a user made that. That podcast feed, I established. It's actually in my name. In fact, to the point when I left the site and they made the the the, the successor to it, I remember Sean Elshadi and Mark Ramundi, great guys. I saw Mark in Vegas doing well. No, no beef with them. But they hit me up and they were like, hey, we uh, we need the login for the the podcast feed. And I'm like, gents, I got bad news for you. That's mine. That's mine. I, I made it in my name uh, because Vox sure as fuck wasn't going to do anything about it. You know what I mean? And listen, the live chat itself probably has a limited ceiling. I think I think even you guys understand that. But the point being is like nothing was done. Nothing. Zero investment. Never cost them a dollar, I don't think. Um, they gave me one time a black magic card that I could use to take on the road to plug in uh, a camcorder that I bought um, so that I could do it from the road or whatever. And I could plug it into my computer. So I, I didn't have to use the webcam. I could use like a independent camera here. But, you know, that's, that, that, that's fucking it. That is it. That is it. Uh so you compare that <laughs> with like what's happening now. Dude, it's not even, I, the whole reason I ended up where I ended up is because I was like, I'm only going to go to a place that has decided to make a bet on me. Every time I have, not every time, but in general, in general, when I have bet on myself to win and to do better, and to get what I want, I have been, in general, successful. So what I wanted was a hand. I wanted someone, some entity, to invest. Uh, to say, we're betting on you. That's what I wanted. And they came with that exact offer in that exact language. So to me, it was like, yeah, sure. Listen, if things fall apart, I always have a plan B. All the stuff I've purchased, all the you can't even see all the stuff here. All everything. If everything falls apart, I'm okay. I'm okay. But I wanted a chance to be at a place that would that cared that I was there, that thought that I could deliver value, especially if they put money in, it would deliver even more value on the other end. Um, welcome to Showtime. Welcome to CBS. Uh, any chance you can get Brad Riddell back on the show? Would love to. I haven't talked to him in a while, but um, yeah, Brad's a very, very, very smart guy. <laughs> if Dana is Batman, okay, and Ariel is his Joker, I don't think that's quite right in the analogy, but okay, let's run with it. Who does that make you in BC? BC, it would make... I don't think, based on conversations I had in Las Vegas, I don't think UFC dislikes BC at all. And and, and I'll, I'll say this again. I said it on Monday show. I'll repeat it. Boy, I got to tell you, that UFC media staff, they are pros, man. They are pros. They're honest with you. Um, to me, to me, they are extremely fair, um, reliable, you know? 
So, but you're asking about Dana. Um, that would make me, I don't know, a little Harvey Dent-ish Two-Face. <laughs> and it would make, I'm not familiar enough with like uh, DC villains to know exactly who's who. That's funny. Um, I'm not sure. Penguin? <laughs> would it make DC the Penguin? I don't know. Uh, what is actually your favorite discontinued food item? Motherfucker, I, I don't even know any discontinued foods. What, the kind of Chipotle with the lettuce that had rhinovirus in it? You know, uh, I, I mean, is that a favorite discontinued food item? Like, does anyone really miss Crystal Pepsi? Tab? I mean, if it's discontinued, that shit's discontinued for a reason. This is way too long of a question. Could you break down how UFC contracts work? I mean, there's a lot to that. Jesus. Um, Jonathan Snowden has a big article. He did it for Bleacher Report. Let me... Um, I'll tweet it out. Okay, here we go. The Business of Fighting... A look inside the UFC's top secret fighter contract. And he got uh, a contract expert to go through piece by piece. Um, this dude, this law labor law professor, Zev Eigen, or somebody else, to go through all the different pieces so you can see what they are demanding. Because that's way too long of a question for this one. But I'll tweet that out at L. Thomas News when this is all over. Josh Thompson says a fighter's contract is extended six months every time they turn on a fight. Yeah, that's true. It may be three months. I have to double check that, but it could be six. But yes, it does get extended. If they offer you a fight and you say no, the contract gets extended. Are you surprised by the backlash Connor got for insulting Dustin's wife considering Adesanya has mocked John Jones's dead parent? He mocked her dead... I didn't, I didn't hear him mock his mom. I heard him bring up his mom. I didn't hear him... And again, I'm not saying it's not true. I, I did not see that. I saw him bring her up, and even that gave me the heebie-jeebies. But no, I don't think he mocked her, did he? And fighters have always insulted each other's families. Well, a couple of things. Connor's going to pull into an audience. Remember, what's the biggest audience in combat sports, numbers-wise? What's the biggest one? Casuals. They're not there all the time, but when they're there, they're there in the largest amount of numbers. Connor's going to pull into an audience that is not as fight fight world savvy or maybe even fight world numb as you or as I. So I think part of what might be driving that is you've got Stephen A. Smith who, you know, has a large audience and has a large audience of people who are not probably died in the wool fight fans. And so when he goes out there and says, this was disrespectful and blah, 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 it's going to, it's going to hit a little bit different for those reasons. I think that's probably a big part of it. Um, that's probably the, the biggest part of it. But the other thing to consider is like you and I know the reality here. I, I, I don't recall John Jones' be, mother being mocked by Adesanya. I'll look that up. I, if I've got that wrong, I've got that wrong. But I don't think that's quite right. Um, but you guys do know the reality here. I mean, I remember when Ricardo Mayorga, I bring this one up all the time. He told De La Hoya to his face he was going to drink his wife's breast milk. I mean, you know, he said fucked up things. Um, and not just in that fight, in a bunch of them. You know, Chael, there was a moment there where Chael Sonnen, people were like, oh, he's the greatest trash talker in the game. And I, 
and for a while he was obviously making a great a great run at it um, with what he was doing. But what he was doing was a little bit like PG thirteen to Mayorga's R R rated or even X rated shit. Uh, and so you know there was a, this categorical difference. But like I guess the point I would make is that if you're if you're used to the fight game. You know, Dana White does have a pretty good point about it, which is like, dude, people are going to say fucked up shit. The, the, I think for me, the, the moment that like intervention is warranted is, um, well, one, as a company, you have to decide what you want to allow. So, for example, you know, what would UFC do if one fighter, a male fighter, um, was like openly gay with a boyfriend, the whole nine yards, and his opponent was calling him the six-letter F word? Would they do something about that? Would they retreat to, well, people are just saying mean things in the fight game. I think you have to figure that part out. But absent those particular hot spots, they're just, you know, generally, if quite meanly, disparaging. You, I think you and I both know you just got to let it rock. It, that's just the way the fight game goes. Uh, Luke, your energy for MK last Friday was epic. Reminded me of your Donald Trump Jr. Goober video. Y'all ever seen Donald Trump trying to do that masculine fucking deadlift thing? Jesus Christ, man. Okay, like, there's this weird thing. Y'all know which way I lean politically. I'm not here to restate it exactly, but there is this weird thing where you're, like, watching, like, Tom Cotton do these, like, super fucking shitty push-ups. You know, like, I'm going to do performative masculinity. It's like, dude, if you're going to do performative masculinity, you need to perform masculinity, like... You doing these half-ass push-ups ain't getting the job done. Don Jr. had a uh, a deadlift that was so fucking horrendous. I mean, he he had the worst back bend ever. I mean, I can't believe his spine didn't pop out of his back. It was so fucking bad. And the reality is, if you if you at all were being fair about good and bad deadlifts, there is no way. There is no way you could say anything other than it was a horrible deadlift. Not just bad, really bad. Like what you would show to someone. Not as bad as Tony Ferguson's first deadlift. That was the that one took the cake. But a shade under that is 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 Don Jr.'s deadlift. And I saw people being like, "Oh yeah, it's not so bad." I'm like, "Dude, you're fucking so disingenuous." Because if that was anyone who I don't know, Chris Hayes or whatever, Hunter Biden or some shit, and they were turning in deadlifts like that. And you were trying to just call it down the middle. You could never say anything positive about it. But they were defending this guy because they loved him. And uh, I made a long video being like, dude, his fucking deadlift is terrible, terrible, terrible. Dude, if you're going to record, I mean, people are like, why don't you record your shit? I, I'm not trying to like impress none of y'all or anything like I'm Like, I live an ordinary life. I have an extraordinary job, but for the most part, I live an ordinary life. I'm not, I don't do feats of strength. I, I, I can't rap, I, I don't know how to cook, I I can't sing, I, I don't really know how to dance, basically at all. Uh, what is it you want me to record, you know? And so the rule is, if you don't record, people could say whatever, you you know, oh, you're a coward, you should record it. Yeah, you can come what you want, I'm not recording it. For me, the rule is, if you record it and you post it, it's no longer yours. Doesn't matter, any, whatever it is. If you post it and record it and you give it to the internet, they are going to have their say about it. And, you know, anyway, you're asking about last Friday. Yeah, last Friday was fucking great is what it was. Um, but that, golly, worst deadlift I've ever seen. Not worse. Okay, it's not true. Again, Tony's was worse. But bad. It was bad. 
scariest moment of your life? Um, when my mom found out I had forged her signatures on some things, that was, boy, that was a long and awkward car ride home. I remember, um, in eighth grade, I had gone to, so I went to, my life's been a complete mess. I went to, uh, let's see, one, two, three different elementary schools. I went to three different middle schools. And I went to two different high schools. And the third of the middle schools that I had attended was um, a private school. The only, only year of my life I ever went to private school. And my mom got divorced the next year. So it was like this whole thing. But um, I remember, you know, I, I did well in high school eventually. But there was one semester in eighth grade where I did not. And uh, I had another student <laughs> sign uh like a it wasn't the report it wasn't the final report card it was like the halfway through mark kind of thing and you have to show your grades to your parents they have to sign off and it was like two classes i was just like kind of just totally gaffing off and um i had someone else sign it and she was the teacher was none the wiser and then like fast forward like six months maybe close to the end of the year even there was a pta meeting and my mom went it was supposed to be just totally routine. Well, somehow they got to talking and it came up that like somehow, you know, my mom didn't know that earlier in the year I'd had like some bad grades. I had worked it all out by this point anyway. And um, that I had forged her signature. And my teacher at the time had kept the copies of that interim report and then showed my mom. And, you know, my mom had a very unique signature. And the, the guy who signed it, the teacher is not going to know because how could they possibly know what my mom's signature looks like? So she didn't realize it, but when they showed it to my mom, she obviously recognized, like, I'd never seen this, and that's not my signature. And I'll never forget, I was waiting in the car like a dumbass, being like, yo, what's taking my mom so long? And I'll never forget, she got in the car, didn't say a word, and then took copies of the old interim report that I had forged her signature on, and just put them on my lap, just like that, didn't say anything, and pulled out of the of the, of the dry world, the, the, high, the, the school's you know, parking lot basically, and uh, didn't say anything for 45 minutes on the ride home. That was about the scariest <laughs> 45 minutes of my life. I thought she was going to beat the absolute. F- I I thought I was about to get that Shane Carwin versus Brock Lesnar ground and pound boy. I thought I was about to get worked over. My mom was a code of Hammurabi type man. I'm not going to hit my daughter. I don't really believe in spanking. I don't think the evidence really suggests it works. And it does a lot of problems. It causes a lot of problems. Uh, My mom did not share that attitude. (laughs) She came from Beirut, Lebanon, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, you know, she, she was a strong advocate of corporal punishment. And I think I actually did get absolutely demolished on the way home. But or once I got home, but not nearly as bad as I thought I was going to get. Um, so that was bad. Been in a couple car accidents that were a little bit unnerving, you know. Um, but that that forty five minutes of just total silence, and you knew when you got home, it was gonna be a death sentence. That's a long forty five, man. It's a long forty five. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, you notice I don't bring up like, like I've had knives pulled on me a couple times. For some reason, I don't view those as scary. 
Well, I mean, okay, they're scary. But like, when I think about what internally caused me dread, those don't. My <laughs> forty-five minutes of my mom's silence was infinitely more frightening than uh, a couple times people pulling knives on me. Um, I even had a gun pulled on me one time. Well, me and three other guys. Um, that was scary. Okay, maybe I'll add that one to the list. They start pulling the firearms out, and you're, you know. Dude, this was one time. <laughs> this didn't involve me. Uh, maybe I've told a story before. I was getting lunch with my wife one time, maybe eight or nine years ago, something like that. And uh, it was on K Street, close to Foggy Bottom, not, not too close to so like K and 20th, somewhere around there. And northwest in the city of, if you guys know, if anybody here knows what that means. Uh, it's a nice business area. You know, banks and law firms and steakhouses and that kind of thing. And uh, this dude hit, uh, hit this black guy. And I bring this up because they immediately made it racial between them. And the other guy was white, but not quite. You could tell he, something was off about him. And, uh, <laughs> Fuck. So they start they start jawing and then they start punching each other and um, I think the guy based on his accent was like Turkish or something and he took the black guy and he was much bigger than him he took him and then like he threw him to the ground and tried to go back to his car just to like well maybe flee the scene of an accident I don't really know what he was trying to do but he wasn't he threw the guy away and it looked like he was trying to like get away from it sort of again leaving the scene of a fucking hour maybe he wasn't maybe he was doing something else I don't know. What I do know is the other guy got up, and I remember I was watching this being like, he didn't immediately get up and go to the other dude. Like, I thought he was going to get over there and, like, try to open the door, or, like, punch him through the door or something like that. But no, that's not what happened. He went to the, he went behind and went to his own trunk and popped the trunk. And I, I, I'll never forget, I took my wife by the collar. Like, I was a bouncer chucking her out of the bar. And there was, like, this, um, there was, like, this, these two, half walls and there was a set of stairs between them I like and I threw her and me behind this wall because I thought for sure for sure he was about to have a a moment where it was a bone it was about to have a bone crusher moment outside of the club and you think I'm a punk right so I go get my loaded tech nine that's off in the trunk <laughs> I thought it was about to be one of those moments and maybe it was but this was the funny part. Then the dude in the front car gets out, and now he's jawing. He's like, "Oh, you want to go to your you want to go to your trunk? Go to your trunk. Go to your trunk. Go to your trunk." Like he's, he's just egging him on, egging him on, egging him on. And the guy cracked it open and uh, lifted it. Didn't look down. Didn't grab anything. Then just shut it. Got back in the car and drove off. <sighs> That was a frightening moment. I was like, I'm about to watch somebody just get bucked in broad daylight in a nice part of town. But it didn't happen. <laughs> Dude, some of these guys, I told you guys about the taxi driver. I won't tell the whole story, but when the guy was banging on the thing and he looked up and then my taxi driver, hey, don't fuck with me, motherfucker. I'm third world, you know. Some of those guys who come from those parts of the, the world, man, they're not a, they're not about your your bone crusher games or your threats. All right, 
Brian Shaw has placed first, second, or third in 10 of the last 13 World's Strongest Man competitions. Is he one of America's greatest athletes? Yes, and he got second this time. And, uh, you know, Brian Shaw is older. I think he's like 36 or so, something like that. He's won World's Strongest Man four times. He's looking for his fifth. Fifth would tie him, I believe, with Pujanowski, who, by the way, has fought MMA a bunch of times, but, you know, he was a Polish strongman. And um, it was him and Tom Stoltman down to the last event, the Atlas Stones. Whoever won Atlas Stones won the whole thing, and he beat uh, Brian Shaw. But for Brian to be this competitive, this long, this consistently a high achiever, many bronzes and many silvers along the way to many golds as well, dude, he is a perennially, consistently excellent athlete, man. He is just always a high-level performer. I really thought this year might have been his year, especially when Novikov didn't make the top 10. I was shocked to see that. There was a couple other like bigger names who did not make the top 10. It was a bunch. The Stoltman, I don't know if both Stoltman brothers made it. Obviously, Tom made it, but it was a, it was a slightly, I won't say underwhelming field, but a lot of new names, a lot of new names, except for the OG himself, Brian Shaw, and he was down to the last event. But you know what? Tom Stoltman didn't make it close. He won that event fair and square, and God bless him. He's a hell of a competitor, and um, he, it was his, it was his time. It was his time to win. So I, I, I do want to see Brian Shaw get that fifth. I really would like to see him get that fifth, especially because he's come so close, and he's had to eat disappointment a lot. When he was dominating and he was on, they couldn't touch him. But the you know between Thor doing well and between um, Eddie Hall doing well, and then you had Martins Lisitz, and you had Novikov, and I'm probably skipping somebody else, but... Um, yeah, he's a beast. He's a freaking beast. He's like 6'9", 420 or something. I mean, he's just a, you know, giant human. Best war of attrition that I've seen. Gotti Ward's going to be up there. I'm going to put um, Condit Lawler. Condit Lawler. Because both those guys are still fighting, but they're not the same anymore. And obviously, you don't want to... You don't want to overly state the importance of one fight over many, many years of competing, but um, yeah, that was a big one. That was a turning point in both of their careers. Illustrious ones, but a turning point just the same. Can you share which are most and least popular based on YouTube's algorithm of audience retention from UFC, other MMA, boxing, DMs, from Donks, have you seen this shit? Tip to tip, fan submissions, wheel of death. Well, look, not everything is designed as an algorithm play. Like, we don't do wheel of death or have you seen this shit as like, oh, this will do well later. Um, same with DMs from Donks and everything else. So those are just show elements that by themselves are just designed to make the show better, okay? If you're asking about UFC and other MMA, there's no real competition. I mean... I hate to put it this way, but like we could only talk UFC. It's not quite true. It's not quite true. Generally speaking, if we only talked UFC, the audience might not like that or the hardcore might not like that. And we would not be fair to other promoters or fighters who are just as good in terms of skill or, you know, promoters who are putting on good shows. But like if we just talked UFC and nothing else, I don't think we'd feel a hit in our in our numbers. We'd have to adjust some things, but that's how dominant a force that they are. Now, obviously, that's a little bit different when you've got a Mayweather competing or a Logan Paul or something like that. Your routine boxing is really not going to be on par. Um, this is not the case that it used to... Folks, this is so funny. When I was 
you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, dude, boxing was way more popular than MMA. Way more popular. And, and, and on top of that, you know, you had two guys at that time, Pacquiao and Mayweather, who could both themselves do two million or right at it pay-per-view buys, you know, just massive uh, appeal at the time. You know, UFC didn't have anyone even close to that at that time. You had Brock, but even Brock couldn't really hang like that. Um, and boxing was just way more popular than MMA. Dude, MMA is more popular than boxing now. I'm pretty confident in saying that. Um, what did not used to be that way. So if you're just getting into fights now and you're like, wow, MMA is more popular than boxing. Dude, in my own career lifespan, that's it's been the reverse. Um, so listen, some things you cover as an algorithm play, of course. Um, some things you cover out of just duty to that fighter or in fairness to that promoter or whatever. But it's basically like UFC content and then everything else after that, honestly. And then, you know, big name boxing, like when the Gervonta Davis fights, we get, we get, we get a pull from that. Um, Floyd or something like that. When Pacquiao fights, we'll get a pull from that. But or or Fury and Wilder, right? That that kind of a thing. I heard about MK after Izzy Adesanya shared some clips on his IG page. I was wondering if there are any other moments in particular that boosted the show's popularity. The one of the first interviews I did with Dustin Poirier on MK it hit big. Um, oh. A lot of the dissecteds were good for that, yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I mean that's really the way to do it, right? Is is to get fighters who are famous to talk about your stuff. That's really the best way to get attention, right? You have Connor on your show or something, and then he says nice things about you, and you know he promotes that he's going to be on your show. I mean, I'm you know I'm stating something theoretical here. That will blow your show up pretty quickly. But like we made a pretty Brian does a lot of interviews, although not many recently, if you've not noticed. But like on MK itself, I don't we don't put fighters on there. Like that's not what we do. Like we're gonna make or break based on me and him. Yeah, we'll do a YouTube play. We'll do some, you know, we'll play the game a little bit that we have to. But I think in general, whether we succeed or whether we fail, and so far so good, it's been because of me and him. Like we invited a couple of fighters. Here's a little story for you. We invited a couple of fighters to come out on Friday's show, and they turned us down. And um, we didn't miss them at all. You know what I mean? Like, I even told Brian we don't need them. And Brian was like, at least try. So I said, okay, I'll try. And, uh, you know, one had a scheduling conflict, and then one said yes, and then said no at the last minute because whatever, whatever. Um, you know, but, like, it didn't, didn't hurt us at all. Would it have helped to have one of them there? Eh, maybe. Eh, a little bit, maybe. But you see what I mean? Like, I wanted a vision where um, there's so many of these media folks who, and they're good folks, but, like, they've just got this lamprey mentality where it's like, I got to attach myself to um, these individual fighters and then use whatever trickle-down effect that they have to boost popularity. It's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. What's the end game for Morning Combat? I don't know. I haven't thought about the end game. By the way, some of the things that we had thought about like as like being four or five years down the road have been laid at our laps here already. I don't know that we're in a position to take some of those stuff yet, but like dude, we're doing good. I'm telling you. I'm telling internally, internally, like what we have shown them, they're very happy with and I think it will lead to a lot of opportunities. But the reality is this, man. 
and BC and I have had a discussion about this in particular, like, I don't want to take any job where I can't make MK what it is, where to start at the beginning of the show, where, um, you know, oh, well, we need you to not say stuff like that. Well, okay, well then go fuck yourself because I'm out. Like, if, you know, um, if any outside, MK might get, it might do well enough in certain capacities that other opportunities come around because of it, right? But I don't want to take those opportunities if what it means is that in order to take that, yes, doing the MK stuff um, raised my visibility and, and made me um, um, a, a leading candidate for a potential other thing I could do. But if I take that, it requires me potentially, not, not in every case, but in some cases it might require me to be something I'm not, and then that will then affect MK. That's what I'm not going to do. So you asked about the end game. I'm not entirely certain because I don't know exactly what's coming. All this is to say is if if you build something big enough, I'm not too worried about it. And we've got a long way before we've done that. I mean, we're not in any position to declare victory, but, you know, again, steady as she goes. Kobe Covington has not really developed a ground and pound game or a submission threat he uses his wrestling to drain opponents. Do you think he needs to develop one of these in order to beat Usman? Yes. Yes. If the majority of what you do is control, which is, that is what he does, he has obviously volume punching on the feet and he has some ground and pound, um, but really what he likes to do is just hold people through a series of positions in order to get them to just sort of have to constantly answer for the, the, the speed chess that he's playing with a positional game without a whole lot of ground and pound. I mean, what was the last top? Maybe the Demi and Maya fight? I guess some of the Tyron Woodley fight too, but in general, like go to, the, go to like the Lawler fight. There's hardly any ground and pound in that. And the submission attempts are pretty weak, but I think they're weak by design. I don't think he was trying to like, I'm going to submit this guy now. Yeah, I think to beat Usman, you're going to have to add, add something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you had any more contact with Rogan? We text now and again. On your appearance, Joe mentioned the idea of having you debate in the subject of PEDs in sport. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've not heard anything about that. I don't know if anyone really wants to do that, but um, we've not talked about that. We've just talked about like when we text, like, hey, did you see this thing in the news or, or something? Um, but no, like we're not like... I don't want to undersell it and say, like, I don't know who the fuck Rogan is. Like, I know who he is. We, 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 I was on his podcast. He's cool. Um, I, consider us, I consider us friendly. Um, but we're not, like, friends in that way. I think that'd be overstating the case um, a little bit. Luke, do you have any insight as to why the UFC stopped doing the fight for the troops events? The cards themselves were often pretty lackluster on paper, but I remember them raising a hell of a lot of money for the Fallen Heroes Fund. That's a great question. I do not know. And there were some good fights on there. Jorge Santiago and... Um, Jorge Santiago and not Tim Kennedy, but uh, the guy with the Johnny Cash tattoo who beat Husamar Palhares. Alan Belcher. There's been some good fights on there. Um, how about the first Duran Demi and Amanda Nunes was a fight for the troops card. What do you think of Rafael Fizayev? I think he is a fucking animal. Do you think his exceptional striking but apparent lack of wrestling will be enough to get him the gold? I don't know if his wrestling is all that bad. 
I do know, though, that I've, I've had a couple conversations with his manager, one of the few managers I have a good relationship with. And, um, boy, they can't get this guy fights. <laughs> I think there might be also be some issues about getting him to the U.S., to, some visa issues maybe, but um, you'd be surprised who's turning down fights with him. They don't want, they don't want any part of that guy. Which fighter has the most liable, nervous tick or mannerism that could get them in trouble in a fight? For example, Dustin wiping his hands on his shorts and hair. Whitaker wiping his foot on the back of his leg. Cheers from down under. You know what? Let me give a shout out to a guy who I guess I found him during the pandemic. He has coached UFC fighters before. I think before Dan Hooker ended up at CKB, um, he was with this guy. And uh, I think he mostly trains boxers. Barry Robinson. He has a page called um, Get Great at Boxing on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you can see that or not. It's a little washed out because of the lighting. Sorry. Um, Get Great at Boxing on Instagram. His name is Barry Robinson. I don't want to make a claim that I fully understand his his views and all the different things that he teaches. I, 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 I'm not making a claim about that, which it might all be great. But the one thing that he has really opened my eyes to is something that he has dubbed. It's okay. It's something he has called the rhythm step. Um, basically, and it's this idea is taught. I've seen it taught in other places, but he has homed in on something that I find very interesting. It's two concepts. One is this concept, I've talked about it before, of engagement. If you and I are apart, there is a skill to be, to be developed where I can control you and I can control the terms under which we actually engage one another. We will have to engage each other on some point, but I can control those factors through a lot of different things, lateral movements, feints, and whatnot. But I want to I make it in my mind a concept that I'm going to control engagement. And once you do that, there's a series of skills you can build behind it so that folks understand um, that you can do a whole lot more to control your opposition without ever actually striking them than what happens now. The second part of that is something he has called the rhythm step, where you'll see a lot of people physically reset their feet in the middle of a fight, and they do it all the time. And in fact, it's, it's extraordinarily widespread and what you find is that a lot of fighters get in trouble off of a rhythm step. Now, what's kind of funny is I've actually gone to different fighters where their opponent has been attacked off of a rhythm step, where they're bringing their excuse me, they're bringing their feet together, like they're doing this, then they back up and they're like, okay, let me let me start over, and then they get kind of back into it. And it may not even be that big, it may not even be that dramatic. It may just step back a little bit, bring their feet together a little bit, and then go back. You know, just kind of like a momentary uh, attempt to reset. And then uh, they get laid out for it because remember, you're if if you're resetting constantly, and it's easy to read because you're bringing your feet together, uh, you can get timed off of that. You can get timed off of that, and, and much more. You can get a, more than just timed. You can get a lot of bad things can happen to you by virtue of that. Now, a lot of times it goes undetected. What's funnily enough is I forget who which which fighter it was. I remember Barry had found a, a case of a fighter getting rhythm stepped. And then the opponent knocked him out. God, who was that? I asked the fighter who it was. Oh, no, excuse me. I asked the fighter, did you see them do this? 
And they said uh, in real time, no, but that something instinctively called upon them to throw the punch when they did by virtue of their of their the repetitive motion of their action of the way in which they were able to tell that in that little window they were disarmed and so it's sort of like proof of concept to think of what Barry has talked about which is um, you know if you're if you can pick up on these like tendencies that that and it's not just one or two fighters have like dude like most fighters rhythm step most elite fighters rhythm step at least a little bit now if you're way far away I guess it doesn't really uh, you have to ask Barry but it doesn't seem like it's all that consequential but a lot of times guys will do it in close quarters and they get laid the fuck out for it and not because they're all students of Barry's game but because they can tell that there's these little windows where people have disarmed themselves because they need to they need some kind of mental and physical crutch to lean on to then restart the engagement process Right, I missed a punch. Let me circle out, bring my feet together a little bit. Let's restart the the closing of the distance. And so, if you can get closer to that, if you can force them into these rhythm steps, if you can do other things, you can get a lot going with it. Now, again, I've seen other teachers teach about you know not bringing your feet together, um, timing off of tendencies. So, like they've picked up pieces of what Barry has done, or they got some of the underlying ideas right. But he's the first guy I've ever seen to like kind of put it all together in a name and a concept better than anyone else I've ever seen. Now, uh, again, I don't want to say that I've explained this all correctly. Like, I'm an acolyte of Barry Robinson. I'm not I'm not a trained Barry Robinson pro- professional teacher like that. I'm just telling you what I picked up on from, I think, what I think I've picked up on based on the things he said. But, like, now that you've heard me say this, go to, uh, one more time. What is his? Get Great at Boxing. Get Great at Boxing on Instagram. Go check that out. Go check that out and then watch how often he finds folks doing shit like this and, and, and other stuff. So, yes, um, who is the guy that uh, Montiel, that the other Charlo brother fought? He would constantly just touch his legs. He wasn't rhythm stepping. He would just touch his legs and then bring his hands up. Well, folks, if I know you're going to constantly touch your legs, when your hands go down and you're an elite boxer, you should be able to fucking crack that guy. Um, you know, so you see stuff like that. The more you begin to pay attention to it, dude, fighting is all about patterns at the highest level anyway. It, it, the bar fights, no. But at the highest level, they're all about patterns. What someone does over and over and over. And, and you knew that from uh, um, uh, dissected or technical difficulties, whatever you want to call it. I've shown you that like in a five-round fight. It's something that usually someone sets up early and is just able to continue the process with over the course of time, minor adjustments here or there. It's all about patterns. And those patterns can be good or those patterns can be bad. Those patterns can be quick or they can be short. And they can be constantly repeating or just repeating a little bit enough. But they're there. They're constantly there in one form or another. And rhythm stepping, where you're bringing your feet together to restart the engagement process as a form of reset. Dude, you're gonna if, if a fighter really wants to hurt you for that they 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 can and they do all right with that in mind let's call it a day on this first things first like the video subscribe show tomorrow 11 a.m in the east me bc and you be there also i think on 2 p.m 1 p.m something like that uh bc and i will be hosting digitally anyway the charlo versus castaño weigh-ins charlo by the way trying to become the first guy 154 to hold all four belts at the same time pretty big deal all right 
Uh, thank you guys so much for watching. If you want to email me, lukethomasnews at gmail.com. And uh, until next time, may... Well, I'll tell you.